I guess that'll come later. I don't know. So maybe sins we committed yesterday, people we've hurt, poor decisions we've made. We will regret financial decisions, educational decisions, relationship decisions, working too much, not spending enough time with family, not living in a God-pleasing way, talking too much, not talking enough, drinking too much. The list goes on and on and on. I've always said we, we pretty much suck as parents, but we are as great parents. <laughs> When we were parenting, we were working and going and blowing and moving and shaking and, you know, things were happening and, and things happened. Man, we're good here. We're good grandparents. Sorry, baby. We regret mistakes we made with our children. Time we wasted, failures and choices. But know this, God is bigger than our regrets. God is bigger than our regrets. Though we've done things that we regret, God doesn't want to re our regret to rob us of our joy in Him or cripple us in His glorious pursuit of who we are. Yesterday I was meeting Miriam somewhere. It was almost sunset. And I was in my car, she was in her truck, and we were going to meet at a trash can number. And I said, God, this sermon for tomorrow about regret, I mean, it's just, I mean, you know, it's not earth shattering or. What people are supposed to do? How are they supposed to react to it? I finished it up. I said, what is that? What, what is that word, regret? And just before I got to bed, because as soon as I got to her, I said, oh, God, tell me something. Just just like trash can number, whatever. You know when you memorize your trash can numbers when you live at the beach. So I was driving, and he says this. Regrets do not define you. They do not define you. They refine you. I Regrets do not define who you are. You can't walk in regret all the rest of your life. But they can refine you. Think about it. So Moses prayed for God to teach us the number of our days that we may apply hearts to wisdom. Psalms 90.12 Moses who was praying that God would help us to live a life full with no regrets. Yet no regrets. If you knew today that it was your last day to live, how would you live it? Most people would do everything they could to mend broken relationships, make some phone calls, do things a little different, contact people, go to City Hall. Hello again. <laughs> if you knew you were going to die, you probably would do that. But why do you have to live that way? Why not men broken relationships now? Why not do things now? I want to talk about two other people in the Bible. I could have talked about tons of people in the Bible, but two other people. Luke 22, 61. Then the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Oh, and when he did, Peter remembered. All God had to do is just look at him, and Jesus looked at him, and, and Peter remembered. You remember the word of the Lord he had said before the rooster crows today. You'll deny me three times. And then he went outside and just wept. Regret. And what happened to Peter? Let me remind you of the end of the story. Because after resurrection, it was Peter that, that when he finally connected with Jesus, he ran to him. 
and everything changed. It was Peter that in the book of Acts, when Holy Spirit fell, when they were all up there, and all the disciples and all the people, it was Peter that busted the door open and walked out and preached that first sermon. He had a choice there. Woe is me. I'll never go back in public again of what I did. I'll never go back to the one office. I'll just do without one. I'll get away. Or bust out like Peter in, in, in the first sermon preached after Jesus' death was by Peter. Or could it have been Judas? Let's use Judas for an example. He was a person that betrayed Jesus, remember, at the deepest level. He sold him out. Matthew 27, 3, then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, was full of remorse, full of regret. He returned the 30 pieces of silver. He threw it back in the church, actually. He threw the money back in the sanctuary with such remorse that he sold Jesus out. He gave the money back. He could have gone on. But that regret kept boiling. And he couldn't get past it. And he couldn't move past it like Peter did. So he just went outside and hung himself. Hung himself. The Bible went into a lot of details over that. It's pretty gross. Jesus loved you. Jesus loved Peter the same. They spent three years together walking around and, and doing miracles. I mean, both of these guys saw all of that happen. Full of regret. One defined him, and the other one was refined. Do you get the story today? How are you going to handle it? Two people saw the miracles firsthand. Two people handled regret much differently. So how do you handle regret? I know these are extreme cases. You go, well, I'm sure not going to kill myself or preach the first sermon. I'm trying to make an extreme point with two extreme, uh, extreme examples. You may be sitting here saying, this sermon's not for me. How boring is this? Don't you normally jump around and show a movie and do something exciting? This doesn't even pertain to me. I don't even have any regrets. I don't live with regrets. But I will tell you, but I know it was the sermon for me. I wrote it for me. And I know that every sermon is written for me and every sermon, Holy Spirit, turns it and drops it in the hearts that needs to hear it. That's what he does. That's what Holy Spirit does. So if you're sitting here and saying, that's not for me, open your heart. Allow the Holy Spirit to touch you. We all have regrets. Will it control us or will we learn from it? Will it motivate us or will it kill us? Some we can still reconcile. Some we can't. The people are already gone. It's too complicated. There's still time if you can reconcile it. Did you intend to do something that you never got around to doing it? Perhaps you wanted to spend more time with family and friends only to discover that it's the same pattern and never get around to it? You're just too busy? Is that a regret that you have? Maybe you want to become more committed to ministry. Maybe you want to do something. Maybe you want to open something here. Maybe you want to use what was so hard for you to open up something here. 
Have you done it? Are you just talking about it? Five years from now, am I going to ask you, did that ever get done? And you're going, I'm still thinking about it. I'm still going to do that. I'm on it. Five years from then, I'm going to do that. No, you're not. No, you're not. Maybe you wanted to become more committed to the ministry. Jesus called you or be more faithful in your time with God. Or, but there's always something that's going to keep you away. There's going to be always some reason why you're not going to do it. If you're like me, it's easy to look at the past and have regrets. Choices we made, things we did, words we spoke, friends we betrayed. Friends that were true friends that we just cut them off. Not going there. People we let down. It is not possible, I don't think, to live a life without regrets. There's something inside of us that God put there that encourages us to live a life full to the fullest of everything. That's already planted in us. He planted a lot of things in us before we were even born. The first being lean toward him. He woos us. We're born with that desire to be with him. The next thing that he plants in us is to live life to the very fullest. There's something inside of us that says, I want to live so when I'm done, I want to know that I've accomplished everything in my life possible. Living without regrets doesn't mean that we won't make mistakes. We do. We always will. In fact, if you're living life and not making any mistakes at all, I don't know if you're really living life. Because mistakes are just part of it. We just don't want to keep making the same mistakes. We want to learn and grow from mistakes so that God continue to grow us and we live out for Him. Let me talk about, I, I talked about Peter and I talked about Moses, I talked about Judas. Let me talk about Paul. Let me talk about Paul. I mentioned all of those other ones, but let me, let me talk about Paul. He's a great example of faith and courage. I study Paul a lot. He's one of my favorites. He lived his life for Jesus. And he lived a life through the power of the Holy Spirit. He had been beaten five times, stolen once, shipwrecked three times, chased by robbers, harassed by the Jews, distrusted by the Gentiles. And he writes the same thing. He expresses no words of regret or remorse the way he lived. Because he's living a sold out life for God. He's sold out. Sold out in every aspect of his life. Every detail, everything he sold out for God. How about us? I guess we could say, yeah, I want to live this kind of life. Yeah, a life filled with Jesus. I want, I want to do that. What, what keeps you from it? What stops you from it? So I go home after that little thing at the water district and I said, okay, God, after all these years living for you, after all these years, there's still a little something in me that needs to be fixed. There's still a little something that I get irritated and, and upset with people that are not doing what they should do. Amen. Thank you. That was true. You that was not a random amen. There's still a piece of me that's just real sharp. Maybe not you. Maybe it's just me. 
I spent some time saying, God, what is that? What is that? What is that? And I don't have patience with, oh, what is that? I want that gone. I'm a work in progress. So Paul's nearing his life. He was arrested by the Roman Emperor Nero, and he waits his execution time. And he's sitting in his jail cell, and I'm sure that many things ran through his mind. He thought about all of his missionary journeys that he had made, the churches that he had planted, the people he led to the Lord, all the friends that he made. I'm sure he's just recapping on the awesome life that he had. You see, as Paul looked back over his life since his conversion, he sees a life of fulfillment and such contentment. How do you get there? I want to get there. I want to get to that place. How do I get there? It certainly wasn't an easy life. Nor a life that Paul, his friends would even dream of for him. You see, remember, Paul was a Pharisee of a Pharisee. His teacher was the best teacher of all. He was a tent maker and had tons of cash. He was a society of person. People knew him in this town. Everyone expected him to climb the ladder of success. He had a life destined to one of ease and much privilege. Until one day he was on that Damascus road and had to come to Jesus face to face with everything. Can we have a Damascus road experience after we're saved? I think we can. When we come to Jesus one more time and say, I need that face to face inside dramatic change in me. I want everything gone, even a little speck that I hate about myself, God, take me to Damascus. Where is that road? I want to meet you face to face. Paul says, I will in no way be ashamed the way I live. Paul lived a no regret kind of life. Because he said, I fought the good fight. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I kept the faith. He was able to face, face death without enduring the thoughts of things left undone. He never wasted any time. He never missed opportunities. He didn't blow his temper up with putting that metal brain on top of him and putting him back on, in, in, in prison with blood and rods where he was beaten. He just went, just put the grape down. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. How do you get there? How do you get to that place? He looked at eternity like eyeball to eyeball and says, I have finished this race. I've kept this faith. I have no grudges against anyone. Nothing's going to spark my temper to a place that's going to put me over an edge where I would go, really? Really? To live a life of no regrets. We have to learn how important life is. We have to learn to trade monuments of man's achievements for monuments of time with God in his presence where he can unravel us and take us back apart and put us back together a different way. Humble ourselves. Tell God, do it all. Rebuild me because there's a little piece here that's still not right. It's still not right. 
There's a little piece in me that if my pizza is laced, I remember I called it in. I called my pizza in. You didn't get the call. I talked to you on the phone. You lost the order? Great. There's a little piece of me. Some of you are looking at me going, how the heck did you become a person? <laughs> I'm telling you I was human. But there's a little piece that sometimes triggers. But I don't lie. I know you said you're all quiet and perfect. Paul refused to be sucked in in the world's philosophies or a self-centered, selfish life. God was the number one priority in his life. The priority. Not a priority. He was, God was the priority in his life. To live a life without regrets, God has to be number one in every aspect of our life. Our temperament, the way we talk, the way we look, where we go, what we do, when no one's looking at all, what we watch, what we see, what we read, every aspect has to be under a magnifying glass of God saying, yep, 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 you're praying, you're reading, you're doing it. Oh, okay. Hey. Oh. Let's clean that up. So what is that little area in you? What is that little spot? Can you still doing that? I mean, you've been doing that since you were like 12. Really? We get caught up in everyday living that we ignore the author of life. We merely exist from day to day, but truly, truly, we have to know that we must seek, Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all things will be added to you. It won't be added until you seek at that microscopic level. Everything won't be added to you. Get the microscope out. We look good in the mirror. Yeah, that looks good. That's good. I'm good. Got the bottle. Going to church. Well, what an idiot. Can't you drop? Oh, sorry. I'm dating myself. I rolled it up. I Hello? I was here. I am going to church. You almost ran into me. Whatever. Put a microphone, microscope, a magnifying glass. Examine every part of you like you were under a cat scan. Everything. And when something would ping up, go, well, I'm going to fix that. I'm going to fix that. And that, and that. It's time. It's time. I can only teach this type of sermon because of the mistakes I make and the regrets that I have. Trust me. I wrote this and spent a lot of time on all this stuff as it played back in my head. Things that I still need to work on so bad. Still fall into the same language. No one ever died regretting the time they spent with their children. But they died regretting the times that they neglected you. No one ever died saying they spent too much time in church or spent too much time reading the Bible. No one says that they prayed too much or went to church or too much or witnessed too much. No one says that when they die. No one ever dies regretting the money that they give to help other people or, or showing up and helping. People die saying, 
never to go back and make that right. So I looked up the word regret. What does that mean? It means about the same. To feel sorry and sad about something previously done. Or said that now appears wrong, mistaken, or hurtful to other people. To feel sadness about something. A sense of loss, a longing for somebody or something that's not there. To feel sorry and sad that something's happened. So the definition always says sad. To feel sad. To have grief. To have an uneasy feeling about it. So what do we do? We're not Peter and Paul. For one thing, we're not Peter and Paul. We're Kay. We're Jeff. We're Lee. First thing we need to do is silence the devil. Tell him to stop it. That his time has expired in that area of your life. This time has expired for that area of your life. His time is up there. Tell him to shut up because that's not who you are. We have an enemy who reminds us of our sins and our failures. And, and, and scripture calls him the accuser. The accuser. If Satan can't keep Jesus from saving us, he's, his job is to mess our mind up. He can impede us in our walk by accusing us. Get our focus off what we're supposed to be doing and put it on our failures and our regrets. Number two, we always have to know there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. But he will so lovingly say, really, Kay? Really? Hmm. That's not right. Overcoming regret, remembering there's no condemnation for us. Paul had a lot of regrets, probably. Because you know what he did? He persecuted the church. He threw believers into prison. He may have separated parents from their children. He watched and approved the Jews stoning and held the clove, stoning Stephen. Watched it like this. He's getting what he deserves. Stoning Stephen. That was Paul. He had lots of regrets, but he worked through them, through his life journey, where he said, how do we get there? We have to thank God that he causes all things, even our failures, to work together for good. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose, Romans 8, 28. God causes all things, even our sins, to work for good. Because when we recall things, we can address them. When we see something that's weak in us, we can fix it. We can stop the cycle of madness that keeps continuing because that's the way we are. I have no patience with people um, if they don't do what they're supposed to do. It is time to look at that from a whole different perspective. And not with your glasses, but with God's magnifying glass through you. To look at that and quit saying that's just how I've always been. That's just how I've always been. That ends today. We're created for good works. We can be tempted to think that our failures throw a permanent shadow over our fruitfulness. No matter how much we fail, God's word is true. So for our Isaiah class in here, of course, I'm going to have to quote Isaiah. In three versions, nevertheless. Isaiah 43, 18. Remember not the former things. No, consider the things of old, because I am doing a new thing now. It springs forth. Do you not perceive it? 
understand. But forget all of that. It's nothing compared to what I'm going to do. It's the new living translation. Forget all of that. It's nothing compared to what I'm going to do. In my NIV, forget about what's happened. Don't keep going over old history. Forget about it. Move on. God does not want us to be paralyzed with regret. We can't focus on it like Paul, like Peter. God is greater than all your regrets. All of them. The battle of this. I just got flat real with you today. I mean, just flat out real. Allow God to show you areas in your life that need a little bit of tweaking. Is it your temper? Maybe not. It's what you do with your idle time. Maybe not. Is it the way you talk to people? How you respect the spouse? What is it? Today's the day that it's over. Today's the day. So how we treat relationships? How we just mark off people if they make us mad? Just throw them away like they're trash? It's over today. We are the mouthpiece of the creator of the universe. We are his hands and his feet. Some people are waiting for us just to speak kindness into them. God, if I can go back to say, you know what? I know with COVID and all this stuff, it's a mess. I'm sorry. Are you waiting for your kids to call you to talk? When you're the parent? Are you waiting for other people to apologize to you? What do you need to tweak to become all you can be? in the kingdom of God. What is that? Father God, I thank you. I thank you. And we can just be real and raw right here, God. This is family. This is the body of Christ. This is what we do. God, examine us. Put us through a cat scan. Put us through a complete body scan. Light up the areas that are still broke after all these years. Light them up. Give us the report. Let us read it. Oh, God, forgive us. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.